Steelersburg. First, reporting for the summer training camp at Heinz Field. Mike Tomlin stated, without hesitation and without apology, that this would be a very, very difficult year for rookies or even players new to the Steelers to make an impact. And the reason for that was obvious that they had missed so much time not having OTAs, not having minicamp, not really even having a normal training camp, having absolutely no preseason. So the coaching staff, the head coach himself said, was going to lean hard toward known commodities, toward players they knew and could trust. Well, what do you know, huh? <laughs> Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. Good Steelers Monday morning to you. That's how it goes around here after the Steelers win, which, of course, they did yesterday, not without some struggles, beating the Philadelphia Eagles 38-29 to before actual humans, 4,708 people spread out safely through Heinz Field. A little bit of a W in and of itself. The Steelers are now 4-0, and they're not perfect, as Tomlin himself confessed after the game. They're not close to perfect. They've got all kinds of issues on both sides of the ball, but they're 4-0. They're 4-0. And if you want to get the bad taste out of your mouth as it relates to the defense in particular. I mean, the offense had some of its own issues as well. Look at the Steelers' 4-0 record, not just for its mathematical excellence, but also within the context that this team has actually embraced new players, rookies, journeymen, new acquisitions. If you think about the way that game yesterday went in particular, what jumped out at me more than anything, obviously, I mean, Chase Claypool, four touchdowns, he was amazing. Actually should have had five touchdowns, if not for the worst OPI call you've ever seen in your life. But four touchdowns, uh, just the ability to catch everything, uh, the ability to twist away from people, incredible body control, the ability to get through holes and then erupt from there. Um, There's some kind of mix of Martavis Bryant, Plexico Burris, and even those don't really adequately explain or define that late eruption once he gets the ball. I'm not sure that's something that those other two guys had. It's, it's, it's really something to see. 
And you know what? We weren't even supposed to see him. Remember? I'm going to do this on purpose. I'm I'm bringing you back to this training camp thing. Heaven knows it's not a criticism. I'm not doing any kind of gotcha here. The fact that Tomlin said what he said indicated very powerfully and very honestly that that was going to be their approach. So if guys came in and proved themselves and, you know, did pretty well, hey, you know, there's a spot for you on special teams. Kevin Colbert said it on the day of the draft that Chase Claypool and Alex Highsmith, both their top two picks, second rounder and third rounder, were going to be special teams guys. He didn't limit them to that. He didn't make that the ceiling. But he did say one thing we like about them is that they're both really good on special teams so they can conceivably go out there and make an impact even if they can't find a way to get onto the field. Well, then Claypool showed up. And Claypool almost immediately, and this I saw with my own eyes at Heinz Field in training camp, began gaining the trust of Ben Roethlisberger. There was a connection there, and not just in the hokey sense. You could see that Claypool was breaking off his routes, and Ben was landing the ball right where it needed to go at exactly the right time. You could see that Claypool could adjust. You could see that Claypool wasn't making mistakes. Ben is known for letting his receivers hear it when they screw up in camp and in practice because that's the place to screw up but not beyond that. And even yesterday after the game when Ben was asked what he likes most about the kid, he said obviously he's very talented, but the other thing is he doesn't make mistakes. This is a smart individual who has a smart football head on his shoulders. And he came in and he learned the playbook and he did his studying. Uh, He worked with his coaches and his teammates via Zoom before anybody could even get in the same room with each other earlier in the summer. And he proved them wrong. And here I go again making it sound like I'm, I'm knocking them for something that they said. No, it's the exact opposite. The best head coaches, the best coaches and managers in any sport are those who remain open and flexible when something good hits them in the face. And that's what Chase Claypool did to them. But he wasn't the only one. It's also Ray Ray McLeod. I mean, nobody was even mentioning this guy. And even going into this game, the only thing anybody I heard uh, publicly hoping for with Ray Ray was, well, I sure hope he starts catching punts so that we can keep Deontay Johnson on the field. Of course, Deontay Johnson gets hurt on the second punt return, proves everybody right in that regard. But in addition to returning kicks the remainder of the game, Ray Ray remained a part of the offense. And a big part of the offense with that 54-yard run that he broke up the right side. Big block by Vance McDonald on that. Ben said afterward, in no uncertain terms, that Ray Ray is going to become a bigger part of the offense. So you put those couple of guys together. You mix in Eric Ebron, who had kind of a weird game. Uh, The couple of drops, the fumble, didn't reflect particularly well. 
uh, including the one that the, the referees insanely ruled an interception for a moment. Still, he didn't catch the ball. But Ebron also had to be infused into this offense as a new guy. And he also, it's different, but he had to go through some of those same circumstances, as did all of the Steelers, in adjusting. So I asked Ben after this game if basically it would have been easier for him and Randy Feetner and Mike Tomlin and everybody else to just say, you know what, we're just going with the guys we know. We have enough of those. And maybe if that wouldn't have allowed a Claypool, a McLeod, even Ebron in a way, to get involved in this offense. Good answer from Ben here. And this was supposed to be the year that it was going to be tough for new guys to make an impact, whether they're rookies or even just new to a team. What does it say about uh, whether it's Randy, the coaching staff, or even yourself, that you guys have not just adjusted to these guys, but really made them a big part of this offense? Yeah, it's a group effort. I mean, uh, from the coaches to the to, to veteran players to that player. I mean, you can you can coach them all you want and have veteran players around them, but they have to be the ones that go on the field and do it. Um, Kevin Dotson coming in and, and stepping up, playing again today. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of guys that, that are just believing in each other. And when someone stumbles, someone else is there to pick them up. And that's what and that, that's what makes this team special. We're all picking each other up, and we're all doing it for each other. It's a strange, strange year. And by that, I'm not talking about the Steelers. I'm not talking about the NFL. I'm talking about life. We don't know where anything's going to go. But we do know that the more people the Steelers have involved from their perspective, the more productive players that they have, the greater depth they have, the greater chance they have of sustaining the kind of success that they're seeing right now, the greater chance they have of winning, including in situations that aren't ideal. There was a lot about yesterday's game that wasn't ideal, not least of which was David DeCastro getting re-injured. Kevin Dotson came in, played another nice game. Actually, actually, I'll whisper this under my breath, played better than DeCastro. He did. DeCastro did not get off to a good start, and whether or not that's because he was hurt early on, I don't know. But Dotson played better than him. Deontay goes down. With the injury, James Washington comes in, makes a couple of big third-down catches. Steelers were virtually unstoppable on third down, which is, of course, the, unfortunately, the same was true in the other direction, the Eagles against the Steelers' defense. They had to overcome some things. Uh, they've done it with depth. They've done it with smarts, but they've done it primarily by being flexible by being adaptable, by being open-minded. And, to this point, unselfish. And that stuff matters, too. One of the things to look at from yesterday's box score is that Juju Smith-Schuster caught four passes for 28 yards. He didn't play badly. He didn't get a lot of separation, but he had four catches on five targets. I mean, that's, that's as close as you come you know, to doing your job in that position, but there's no doubt that Ben and Randy Feetner were looking for Claypool once he got hot. And with Deontay, who all of us, myself included, were anointing the new number one receiver, 
went down again. And you're thinking, who else might it be? This kid comes up and does it. But then others also contributed. Others also stepped up. This is the sign of a football team that is 4-0, but also has other layers to it that are even more encouraging toward what they can become. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends downtown at Wiener World. They're located at Smithfield Street and Strawberry Way. They serve hot dogs. Everybody knows that. World-class hot dogs. Original recipe in place since that institution opened in 1965. They've also got the best thinly sliced fries. I'm a thinly sliced fries guy. Also, chili, one-pound fish sandwich. Original, terrific vanilla ice cream. My wife had one model. Good people there, too. Stop down there and make sure you tell them that we sent you. When we come back, we're going to look around the rest of the NFL and wonder who, if anyone, is running off with this thing. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. that anybody does are season previews because basically all you do is you look back at last year's results and go, okay, that. Have you ever noticed that? Like, there's almost no variance to these things. Who won? Okay, they're going to win again. Who finished first in that division? Yep, them. Unless there's some crazy moves made in an offseason where a team really loads up or makes a lot of headlines the way the Tampa Bay Bucks did, for example. Then, you know, there's some thinking that, well, they're just going to be a whole lot better. But otherwise, for the most part, you just take who already did succeed. It's not more complicated than that. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who have filed medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. That's their motto. That's their thing. I've met Larry Kelly. That's the one point that he made above all else. When we make a promise, we're going to keep it. They've been keeping those promises for 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. If you'd rather do business online, they got you covered that way too. Go visit lgkg.com or give them a call at 888-842-5454. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs lost in Kansas City 
to Derek Carr and the Raiders, 40-32. to 32. Carr had one of the better games of his career, three touchdowns, did a lot of other good things. Uh, he'd played six other games in his career at Arrowhead Stadium and had lost all six. So there was a whole lot of comeuppance there, but there also was some leveling of the playing field. Uh, if you've watched the Chiefs the last couple of weeks, they've looked semi-human. If you've watched the Ravens, although they certainly took care of business with the Bengals yesterday, they've looked human. They've looked mortal. If you've watched the Bills, another 4-0 team in the AFC, you're impressed by Josh Allen. You're continuously impressed by that defense, especially how they get after it. Uh, up front, including their linebackers. But you don't look at the Bills and go, man, that's that's your powerhouse in the conference. You, you don't you don't look at them and think, man, they're they're just going to strike fear in teams. Who is it that's in the NFL right now that has that air about them? You know, I, I don't want to get too much into the NFC because. That doesn't mean much from the Steelers' perspective. I mean, it might someday in February if things go extremely well, but it, it, it doesn't for the foreseeable future. In, in the AFC, I've been saying this for a while here, that the Steelers could stack up with anybody but Kansas City, and I, I've said that so often that I've maybe excessively convinced myself of that. I'm not so sure that it applies. Uh I looked at the Chiefs even last year as a team that had flaws defensively. But I also looked at them as a team that could overcome anything with that offense that they have, with uh, Patrick Mahomes being able to seemingly do whatever it is that he wants. And then once they uh, added, made the terrific draft pick of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who, by the way, I no longer regret didn't fall to the Steelers, if I can just throw that in since... This is the day for everyone to repent on any regrets they might have had about the Steelers' selection of Chase Claypool. Edwards Hilaire is such a perfect fit for what Andy Reid and the Chiefs do. It just looked too perfect. But they don't look unbeatable. They don't look like some some juggernaut. It's not to say they won't bounce back into that. It's not to say they didn't just have a rotten day uh, yesterday against the Raiders. You know, before that, really, against the, the Patriots, they're they're just they just don't look great. They don't look overwhelming. And when I think of the AFC, I think that there's going to be a team that does get on a downhill roll and spends the better part of the second half of the regular season improving improving and that takes me back to what I was discussing in the first segment I think the Steelers have some of that in them I don't think that the Steelers are any more of a known commodity than these other teams that have the very good records or even the perfect records in this conference Ben, yes known commodity a lot of other guys on that team known commodity but can anyone here reasonably state that they've seen the best 
of this offense. No chance. No chance. All I heard to that question in my imagining, imagining ears here was dead silence. Ben himself said that he's not hitting on the deep ball. Well, we're talking about it, but so is he. He joked that maybe the doctors, when they fixed his elbow, made his arm too strong, so he's overshooting guys. But we also saw that he missed Chase Claypool for what would have been a fairly easy six up the left sideline. You know which play I'm talking about. Threw way behind him. It's not that he's throwing weak balls downfield. It's not that it's a matter of arm strength. He's literally just missing, and more often than not, he's overshooting the guy. Imagine when that comes into play, and it will, because it's not a physical issue with Ben. He just doesn't have that timing, that touch yet. He's had it his whole life. He'll find it again. This offense has other levels that it can reach especially in the area of consistency. But I'll tell you what, when you look at the Steelers converting 10 third downs yesterday, that to me is a sign of an offense that's starting to get used to all of its weapons and all of its plays. Uh, ben joked that Randy Feetner threw the whole kitchen sink at Philadelphia because of the quality of the defense that they have. And, and it showed. They were trying a lot of different things. There was a lot of the pre-snap motion that Matt Canada's brought to the offense. Um, they weren't leaving a whole lot off of the film for Cleveland to study next week. They can get better. Defensively, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Where do I – look, defensively, this team is capable, is eminently, provably capable of making plays in the secondary, on the back end. It has done so in the past. It even did so later in the game yesterday when everything was really, really dark and it looked like the Eagles were going to come marching down the field and steal a W. Big plays were made on the back end, including by Joe Hayden, who had the roughest game of anybody in the Steelers' secondary. They can get better, not just at just plain old coverage, but also at finding some kind of balance between blitzing, sending the entire house, or dropping a hundred people into coverage and just sending three guys up front. It doesn't have to be one or the other, which is a lot of how these first four games have gone with Keith Butler calling the shots. When the blitzes haven't worked and the coverage starts getting burned, he's dropped a bunch of people. And there's really not a need to do that. Ideally, he could find some Dick LeBeau in him and mix up his blitzes, the zone blitzes. Uh, get up to the line of scrimmage. Keep them guessing. Keep them guessing. You don't have to go all this all at once. All that all at once. T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, Cam Hayward, Stephon Tuitt are going to get to the quarterback. Whether you blitz or not, they're going to get there. They were going to get to Carson Wentz no matter what with that ragtag line that he had in front of him. That should have been trusted right off the bat. 
And from there, the Steelers could have concentrated plain and simply focusing their linebackers on stopping the run, having their secondary shut down all the replacement no-names that the Eagles were using at wide receiver. This shouldn't have been all that complicated. I give Carson Wentz a ton of credit. I thought he was terrific. I really do. Uh, Tough, too. Good, good football player. But the Steelers could have defended him and the Eagles' offense a lot better, both from the schematic standpoint as well as the execution standpoint. The Steelers' defense has on it playmakers, and not all of them are making plays. I have a feeling we're in for a week of hearing a lot of negativity about Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe a little bit less, but some aimed at Devin Bush. Uh, These are supposed to be, is elite too strong? Probably is. These are supposed to be very, very good NFL defenders. Minka Fitzpatrick was first-team All-Pro safety, so maybe it's safe to say that he should be elite. Uh, He hasn't been. He hasn't been. He isn't making plays. You can say until you're blue in the face that they're not throwing his way. They're afraid of him, and largely it's true. But when they have thrown his way, as they did on one touchdown right across the middle, There wasn't a play made on that ball. There wasn't an adjustment made. There wasn't a read made. He just basically stood there, which is what you see on a lot of the highlights right now. After the fact, you see 39 standing still somewhere instead of trying to follow his instincts, staying active, staying aggressive, which is what the truly great players do. You're not standing there looking to see what the guy does. He'll be better. Bush will be better. That's, again, something that comes with precedent. It's not something that I'm saying in terms of hope. I think this team has more in the tank, more to show on both sides of the ball. And as a result, could be the team that people in other cities are talking about when they talk about the class of the AFC. When we come back, some hockey today with pucks the penguins made uh, i guess whatever it was that you would consider to be a reasonable amount of moves upon the opening of free agency considering they entered the opening of free agency with very very little cap space but jim rutherford did almost everything that i hoped he would he he went and he shored up third-line center really not once but twice by picking up Evan Rodriguez and then Mark Jankowski from the Flames. Um, Rodriguez, you know all about. Jankowski's basically a penalty killer. I'm not sure that he's a center, but you put yourself into a position where you now have more guys that are capable of helping out on special teams. Never, ever, ever, ever underestimate the importance of that. But you've also added some necessary depth and and that's nice too this portion of daily shot is always brought to you by our friends at the greater pittsburgh community food bank their current program is called grow share thrive 
org. It's a special program where if you put in $10, a very generous benefactor will match that with $5. Every 10 bucks gets a matching $5, so it's a great time for the food bank and for anybody who wants to give to this very, very worthy cause. One dollar is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. It stays in our region. It helps people in our region. Rutherford's still missing something. There's still, there's there's not much left. He, he has put himself in a position now where the Penguins have unquestionably a bottom six and a top six, which means, by definition, you've got all of your forwards. The bottom six is still going to have to shake itself out. We're still going to have to figure out who's really a center and who's not. Um, I remain very much in favor of Jared McCann being in the not a center mode. Uh, I have not minded at all what I've seen of Rodriguez there. I don't know enough about Jankowski's history with the Flames to know how well he handles that position or if he's just a straight PK guy. But there are now enough options there. There's enough options that Mike Sullivan can allow for a pretty decent camp battle that, yes, can include Sam Lafferty, Anthony Angelo, maybe even Samuel Poulin. I keep being told by the Penguins again and again Poulin's going to get a chance. Good. Let's hope so. So what's missing? You've still got a lot of left-handed defensemen and not enough right-handed defensemen. I'm not buying for a second that either Mike Matheson or Yuso Rikola is going to slide over to the right side. If they do, it would be very short-lived and it won't work. So I could still see Rutherford trying to find a way to manipulate things and have to move around a little bit more with his cap to bring in that right-handed defenseman to play behind Chris Letang and John Marino. It's not going to be Ruedel. It's just not. I also... Backup goaltending. You know, I mean, I, I know everyone thinks of the same thing when I mention that. He's like, oh, go get Flower, go get Flower. They're not going to do that. They have nowhere near the money to do that. You can't be bringing in Marc-Andre Fleury to be your goaltender on top of that or your backup goaltender right after you've just told Tristan Jari, hey, we trust you, man. You're our guy. They're just not going to do that. It's not going to happen. It's not like Flower doesn't know that, too. He's a smart guy who's more than connected here. But I'm not wild about the idea of just having it be Casey DeSmith. Um, maybe there's a way that you can bolster what's in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, that has not happened yet. They've signed. Uh, they've signed a goaltender. They have a goaltender down there in, in Emil Army, none of which is a, an, an answer for anything in the NHL. Knowing Rutherford and how strongly he believes in three goaltenders, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of waits for the remnants of this current goaltending spree that's out there to settle a little bit. Think about this. Braden Holtby signs for two years and $8 million. No one, no one in their right mind thought that was going to happen. 
I mean, Holpe was a guy, and I understand he's coming off a rough year, 899 save percentage for the Capitals, but he also was, that year was coming off an extraordinary year. And he is who he is. And, and, and these guys aren't getting paid. And these are the better guys in the group. So someone is going to be available. Someone of significance is going to be available. And I just can't see Jim Rutherford knowing him, knowing his passion for depth at this position, how much he values it, and maybe to some extent how much he'd have apprehension about letting Jari fly that solo. And I sound like I'm being mean to DeSmith. I don't mean to. Casey DeSmith's played in the NHL. Occasionally, he's played very well in the NHL. Nothing but respect here. But I'm trying more to get into Rutherford's head. Rutherford is also the guy who, after signing DeSmith to an NHL contract that paid him seven figures, a little bit over that, had him spend the entire winter in Wilkesbury. So it's not like Rutherford is some devout believer in DeSmith either. I'm telling you, there's just there's another couple of moves, maybe a move and a half left for Jim here, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Otherwise, though, this is the team, and I'm, I'm okay with it. They've gotten younger, they've gotten faster, depending on how much or how little Mike Sullivan allows the younger players to participate and to break through, as we've seen, as I mentioned earlier in the show, with the local football team. Thanks so much for listening today. This was fun. front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.